Hello, and welcome to Time to Adapt. We apologize that it's been a, been a while since our last episode. We've been caught up in a bunch of really, really busy adult things that are very boring to talk about. So we're not going to get into those. As always, I am joined by the amazing Selena. Hello. And today we have a good one for you. I'm so excited. This How is excited are you? Like, I can't even express it. I love... Okay, so basically today what we're going to be talking about is the comic book series and the adapt- adaptations of The Adventures of Tintin. And I love Tintin so much. I've loved Tintin since I was like a small little bean. And I could not contain my excitement watching the movie again. Because like, sure as hell I was there on opening, <laughs> when, on opening night. But um, basically, kind of wanted to start off with like what Tintin is, because it's a European comic that's not really well known here in the U.S. So the comics are about the adventures of a young Belgian reporter. He's accompanied by his white wire fox terrier dog called Snowy. And throughout the books, he um, has all these adventures um, they're set in like the early 20th century and they're very like swashbuckling like Indiana Jones type adventures and throughout the books uh, he meets up with all these other characters which become his friends like Captain Haddock, Professor Calculus, Thompson and Thompson Um, and it's really interesting because the books or the comics in the series they kind of go between multiple genres so it's like the swashbuckling adventures with elements of fantasy mystery political thriller and science fiction um the stories also feature like slapstick humor and can be offset like with dashes of sophisticated satire um and political and cultural uh commentary um so basically I wanted to ask you, Mac, because like I could go into how I like got introduced <laughs> with them. Like I could talk about this all day, but like, how did you get introduced to these comics since they're not really well known here in the U.S.? Well, it's funny because my dad grew up reading the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he had a whole bunch when he was a kid, but he they they've all vanished since he since he's grown up. But he always like I always remember seeing like little like. Um, drawings of Tintin all over the place, and um, he had um, I, I can't remember the exact. I think it was maybe the blue lo- black lotus. No, it's the blue. The blue lotus. Um, the blue. Sorry, okay God. then. <laughs> so um, I'll try to keep my like geek geeking outness to a minimum, but no that's guarantees. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, but no, we um, he had a copy of the the blue lotus. And I remember looking at that when I was younger. And um, what I really learned more about it was when I was doing a research paper on comic books when I was in seventh grade. And then kind of one, one of the ones that they constantly bring up. And when I say they, of course, I mean the Illuminati. Um, <laughs> they bring up the um, the adventures of Tintin. And how they just like, they, they had this really long period of time, Hergé. Of course, the um, author of all the comics is um, just an incredible, incredible um, artist and storyteller. And it really shows. And, and what's interesting, what makes me really sad is that they're so great. Um, but 
they're rarely noticed in America. Yeah. Tintin, the Tintin comics are ne- were never as big in America as they were in Europe. Oh, no. They were Definitely. just huge. And, of course, obviously, they're, it's based in Belgium. Mm-hmm. But um, it was mainly the, the first few were first published in France. And then um, from there, they went to Germany, Britain, Russia. And they got all the place. And I believe the first one was Tintin in the Land of Soviets. Yeah. In 1929. Am I correct? Yeah. So basically, um, how he started, Hergé, his name is, um, he's a Belgian cartoon, he was a Belgian cartoonist. His name is Georges uh, Remy, and he wrote under the pen name Hergé, as we know him now. And uh, he, the series obviously was more popular in uh, Europe, but he, yeah, he started with um, Tintin and the Soviets, uh, and he started in this French newspaper uh, called Le... Uh, you're going to help me because you've done for, like a French class. I can't pronounce Le Petit... Le Petit... Ben... Basically... Le Petit Ventimia. Yeah. And it was a Belgian youth paper. So um, a lot of the creative to control behind some of the messages behind the stories like uh, came from the newspaper itself because... Tintin in the Soviets is very much like anti-communist uh, <laughs> because at that time they were the French weren't all about that. So, and then after that he did Tintin in the Congo, which also had was a product of its time. It's like he, he's gone like uh, as he grew in popularity, he went back and rewrote it because it was one, it was very uh, colonialist like. Colonialists, they were trying to, the messages behind it were very racist and just the imagery too. So he kind of changed that because he was like, I kind of, I done fucked up, eh, Ron? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, so then uh, in 1950, he created uh, Studios Hergé. And that's when he started, like, he hired other uh, artists and he was the head of it. And he, uh, they, that's when they made 10, uh, like, the Tintin 10 albums that we're familiar with today. Because the series is, a, uh, is of 24 stories, but they're made into 10 albums. Um, and let's see. Let's see if I can get the list of them all, because there are just so many. But... Yes. Yeah. Oh, here. So it's Tintin in America, Cigars of the Pharaoh, Blue Lotus, The Broken Ear, Black Island, and on and on and on. But uh, the last one he did, uh, he he died mid, um, like while he was writing it. And so they printed what they had, which is called Tintin in Alpha Art. And that one came out in 1986. So he had a long career from starting from 1929 to 1986. Yes. Um, he was also celebrated for his style, um, the style in which he drew and like how he wrote the the little bubbles. It wasn't really bubbles. A lot of them, some of them were just like squares in the side. Yeah. But as a kid, when I, cause how I got introduced to them, I was having a play date with a friend. I probably was like seven. I think. And as a kid, like, 
I would get uh, sensory overload when I was hanging out with friends, so I just go hide and read their books. <laughs> and then they would have to find me and be like, why are you hiding from me? So I was hiding from my friend and I went into her brother, her little brother's room and he had the Tintin series. And so I was like, well, this looks good. And I started reading them and then I started borrowing them. And then my mom started buying them for me. So that's kind of how I got into them. And then I got introduced to some of the adaptations that they did because um, the BBC actually did audiobooks of the Tintin uh, series. Really? Yeah. So uh, they did, um, they had the Shooting Star, Secret of the Unicorn, Red Rackham's Treasure. Uh, they did Land of Black Gold and Destination Moon, Explorers on the Moon, which is interesting because in those ones, uh, Destination Moon and Explorers on the Moon, they kind of touch on the race between um, Soviets and the U.S. trying to get to the moon, and they do their own like spin on that. <laughs> so it's interesting, the themes that were talked about, and as a kid, you don't really think of it, it was very just, but this was a book that I read before I got even introduced to Indiana Jones, and so I went, when I finally saw Indiana Jones, I was like, this is something I'm familiar with. It's this swashbuckling story, uh, this young, like reporter, like or in Indiana Jones case, archaeologist, they're fighting the bad guys to like either save the story or you know save some artifact. But big fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we could kind of go into some of the characters because the characters are very interesting in themselves. So Tintin. Uh, He's very, like, he doesn't have a whole, like, to be honest, he doesn't have a whole lot of death because he's supposed to be, like, the audience's way to, like, experience these adventures. Like, he won, he's a character that has a good sense of right and wrong. Um, he They don't give him an age, but they always call him the young boy reporter. But yeah. he's not a boy because he lives in his own apartment and he's That's going <laughs> and he's going to, to different countries and shooting guns. Like That's who would let their child do that? That's something I really <laughs> found interesting about Tintin is that in the comics, you know, he looks like he's maybe like, 12, 13, or maybe like, even younger. No, sometimes I was always thought of him when they said boy reporter. I was like, he's got to be like 16 at least. Like Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he has his own house and um, there's no like, his, I'm not sure, his parents are never really. They never mention never his parents. parents. They don't talk about like anything, any like real origin story to him. It's just, he here just he is. popped up one day. He's a reporter, but you never see him writing stories. You always see him investigating. Yes. And then running around trying to stop the bad guys. And yes. there's a lot of. For, like, a story that's geared towards, I guess, young people, there's so much violence in some of them. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't really see them a lot, but there's, like, people die and people are being captured and people are getting, like, interrogated. And, and a lot of that has to do with, it's, you know, it's a product of its time. And mm -hmm. especially, like, when I see, like, some of the some of the earlier um, Tintin stories that have, that, have that, that amount of violence, they all came out during a part a time when there was a lot of violence in the world yeah and it was it was so it was so um it was so around so much that um it definitely i i can see it not really these coming oh god words are hard words. today <laughs> um falling on deaf ears and how like sensitive the subject matter might be in this day and age even. yeah and uh during the the late 30s and 40s he was in um he was in France 
at the time. And so he was there during the Nazi occupation and he was still writing, but a lot of his books took places either outside of Europe or in made-up countries, um, like King Ottokar's Scepter. That was a made-up made country in, like, Eastern European, uh, Europe. And um, they didn't really deal with the issues that were happening in the world around him because there was, like, not necessarily pressure, but it was definitely suggested don't, you know, you don't want to talk about stuff political because else the Gestapo will get you. Yes. You know, like it was it was a time like he kind of was careful about the stories that he did write because they never really were centered too much in the what was happening in Europe. It was all like in different places like Cigars of the Pharaoh. That was yeah, that was uh, during that time is there were obviously Nazi occupation in um, uh, Egypt, but still like it was very he was very careful as to what he wrote. But yeah, and that's definitely um, something that's interesting to look into, mm-hmm. especially because like he was right there in the middle of everything that was going on. But it's that, not really seen in his yeah. comics, which is interesting because yeah. like you would never know without looking that uh, like at the date that it was printed. Oh, this was written during that time. But yeah, so Tintin as a character. There, he doesn't really have a backstory, but he has like a. You get the sense that he has like a strong moral compass, um, but beyond that, as a character, he's kind of flat compared to some of the other characters. He doesn't really have a grand like mm-hmm. character arc. Whereas Captain Haddock, um, full name Captain Archbold Haddock, he he starts off in a very low place when we first meet him in the cat, the crab with the golden claws which uh, will just a hint to what we'll talk about later is how they in the film they introduce him they take that introduction from that comic and use that in the film to introduce his character but he's a marine sea captain and he becomes Tintin's best friend but when we first meet him his ship has been uh, oh my gosh what's the terminology when the, the crew rise up against him mutinied mutinied yeah, so they have him locked in his cabin, and he's a horrible al- alcoholic. He's drunk all the he's time. He's a high-functioning alcoholic, yeah. Not really high-functioning. <laughs> he's barely functioning at the beginning. Yeah. He And throughout the comics, like you see that he does, I guess, not necessarily struggle because he likes... He It's not like he really deals with those alcoholism, but... Um, they use his alcoholism as comic relief at points mm-hmm. because he does some stupid stuff and yeah. that either gets them in trouble um, or just adds a little obstacle. But then as the books uh, progress, he, he becomes a little bit more heroic. He's, he's not such a boisterous drunk and his... He comes from like that low place to, you know, kind of finding some like meaning and, you know, he gets something out of these adventures with Tintin. Like he he's doing something useful. Yes. So yeah, so at first he's depicted as weak, but then he becomes more heroic. He's he has some very colorful insults which are kind of his staple, like blistering barnacles and thundering, thundering typhoons. typhoons. <laughs> Those and um 
Those also add comic relief in the stories. Um, there's also Professor Calculus, who is, he's very absent-minded. He's a partially deaf physicist. And his thing, like, uh, he's introduced in Red Rackham's Treasure, which they didn't do in the movie. Though which they, we're going to get into later. Yeah, which I'll talk about later. But um, it's funny because his character, he doesn't admit to being partially deaf. He only insists on being a little hard of hearing, and that's, like, his punchline. Um, he's not really particularly liked when he's first introduced, uh, but he begins to grow on the characters. They kind of, like, learn to put up with his his silliness and then there are thompson and thompson they are two incompetent detectives who are not related but look the same um and the only way to tell them apart in the comics is their mustaches which is like just how they're shaped which i never knew when i was younger i was just was like they're just thompson and thompson because they always show up together they're never apart so it doesn't really matter if you have to tell them apart Mm -hmm. Um, what is interesting about them is that, one, they do, like, uh, provide comic relief, but they were based in part off of Hergé's father and uncle, who are identical twins, and who would often take walks together wearing matching bowler hats while carrying matching walking sticks just for shits and gigs. <laughs> like, that was their thing to do. That's great. <laughs> and so he... He saw that and he's like, I'm going to use that. So that's what Thompson Thompson, like they wear identical suits, bowler hats and walking sticks. Yeah. So do you have a favorite Tintin book? I would definitely say that um, the ones that like I got started on was um, Tintin in America. Oh, that one. Which is cool because it was it was one of his early ones. So there wasn't a lot of um, that was the third one. There wasn't a lot of dialogue. A lot of it was based was basically him just kind of running around, getting himself into trouble and getting out of trouble. Yeah. Um, as for story wise, I think um, Secret of the Unicorn was an incredible one. As, as was Crab at the Golden Claws. Ooh, that one's one. Of my, that was my first Tintin book. Really, the first one I ever got. I got the like they used to come in. I don't know the. They were really big, like, uh, I believe they were, like, 11 11 by 8 or something like that. They were Mm -hmm. big. And then the artwork was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that the other one, I have to, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it right now, because I'm just so... Well, describe it to me, and I definitely will be able to... It's the one with... um, the island, and there's the the castle. Oh, the Black Island. The Black Island. That's the one that I... Um, adore the most. That one basically had a giant gorilla in it. Yeah. And it was kind of like, it first started off kind of like a ghost story, but then they realized that gorilla! the bad guy had a pet gorilla in this castle in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird story, but it was so much Harambe fun. lives. <laughs> so, I always thought it was, um, I, I liked how a lot of the comics, like, you think it's going to go one way, and it kind of goes... Uh, it, they're always absurd, and they always go in a little slightly more absurd mm-hmm. um, level. And that's why... That's part of why I liked the adaptation so much. Yeah. Now, well, first, let's get into... They had... There were so many adaptations of Tintin. The French did several um, live-action films, um, which we won't really get into because... Um, 
I want to talk more about the animated series and then the film because those are the more recent ones. The animated series aired in 1991 and 1992. They were basically the comics brought to life. They, it was like if you watched the series, it was literally like you could flip the page of the comic and like read along. They really didn't do much to change it. Like. If you wanted to say, I guess you could say that was a true adaptation because they never, they didn't change story. They changed some dialogue to match with like making, making like a moving picture rather than just like flipping the frames. But they did, they just basically connected the pictures and just added more frames to make it work. Um, and they did. They did about um, almost, they had three seasons of it, and it was from um, most of, like, they used, I th think they did almost all the, all the books, from what I can remember. Um, but they were, um, they were really fun. If you don't want to read them, uh, a lot of them are on YouTube. <laughs> so you can oh, just yeah. so you can just watch them too if you don't have access to the books. Right. But we could actually get into the film now if you wanted. All right. Now this is where I take over, <laughs> so to speak. So back in um, around 1981, when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, Steven Spielberg was reading a review of the film in from a French newspaper, and something that constantly came up was this word Tintin over and over and over again. And he didn't know what that meant. When he asked one of his um, assistants, he, he mentioned that, oh, well, Tintin's a very uh, well-known graphic novel or co comic book series in, um, in France and Belgium. And it's uh, a lot of critics had noted that the film has a lot of similarities. Indiana Jones had a lot of similarities to um, Tintin in that there are these really kind of crazy adventures that have... Um, a little bit more violence than normal and um, he was fascinated by this and before Hergé, Hergé died in 1983 I think yeah, he um, had given Steven Spielberg his blessing to direct the project <laughs> <laughs> he had given Steven Spielberg his, his blessing to direct any Tintin film project that was that was coming up so when Hergé died um the film was put in was put into development hell for a while and um it was re-optioned in 2002 and they were supposed to shoot it in 2008 in um 2008 but it was delayed after um Universal opted out and Paramount decided to finally put in about 30 million in pre-production and from there, Spielberg and Spielberg teamed up with Peter Jackson. Now, Peter Jackson, he loves this shit. He's, He's a huge, huge fan. Dan. Oh, my God. Like, when they first were, like, talking about this film, I like that they were going to do this in the film. One, I was big into Tumblr those days. I was all up on those Tintin, like, paid <laughs> on those Tintin blogs. And he actually, they did some, sh like, they did some uh, tests shots mm -hmm. and peter jackson dressed up as captain haddock and it's hilarious <laughs> you can find exactly, it on youtube it was exactly like it yeah 
you can just tell he's having the time of his life. He's just like, you can see he's just a big kid. Yes. And um, they finally decide, let's, let's both put down some money and make this movie. And they got, they got Stephen Moffat, who at the time was writing for Doctor Who, to mm-hmm. um, write the first draft. And then Edgar Wright came in and wrote on the second, did some work on the second draft, yes. as did Joe Cornish. Yes, and I was, was, oh, I just so love the collaboration, on, sorry. So on paper, <laughs> this is an incredible, like, nerdgasm for anyone, any fan of Tintin, that Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, Stephen Moffat, Edgar Wright, you, you, you got it all. And on top of that, they decided to use mocap to do the entire film, which, at that time, it, it was still, it wasn't nearly as, um, as the um, motion capture... De- technology was wasn't as good as it is today but it still is fantastic and it still looks yeah. amazing and um they start the film stars jamie bell as tintin andy circus as captain haddock daniel craig as why can't i saccharin as saccharin which is uh it's kind of interesting how they adapt like what they chose to adapt because they wanted to do um, the secret of the unicorn as the as the focus, which in that we'll just quickly talk about what that is, so people have an idea of how they combined it. Because in the crab with the golden claws, uh, it and secret of the unicorn, uh, well, secret of the unicorn and red rackham's treasure are like a. Or I guess like uh, the continued stories. So in Secret of the Unicorn, uh, they find it's basically a treasure, like a hunting for treasure kind of story. Yeah. So Tintin gets some clues as to where this giant like wreck is. And so in the first one, they gather these clues. They find out that someone else is trying to hunt for this treasure too. And at this time, Tintin is already friends with uh, Captain Haddock. Because in the one before Secret of the Unicorn, that was Crab with the Golden Claws, and that's when they get introduced. Um, and that's kind of when their relationship as friends starts. Um, in Secret of the Unicorn, they embark to this island where they think the treasure is. They realize that it's not there, and then Red Rackham's treasure is kind of Captain Haddock's ancestor's background. Yes. As to, like, his name was Sir Francis Haddock, and uh, he was, there was a big battle between him and Red Rackham. And then they find out that the ship actually did go down, but Sir Francis Haddock had some of the treasure and he took it back to England. Or, well, they have it in England in the, the film, but in Belgium. Yes. And they find that the treasure was there all along. So they do this big old journey to figure out that the treasure was actually where, where they started. So what the film did is they made a combo of the three Tintin stories, the crab with the golden claw, the secret of unicorn and red Rackham's treasure. That way they could have the, that epic swashbuckling story from unicorn and red Rackham's treasure, but they use uh, crab with the golden claws to kind of introduce everybody. Um, because in that story they do introduce, okay, this is Captain Haddock. He's, he's a fantastic character to have because he's hilarious. And um, so that's kind of just how they introduce. And as for the film, like, 
once we go into that more, like, I think they did a pretty good job. Like, if you're looking for a straight up adaptation of the the comic, probably not the best place to look because no. they do make up Saccharin. He's mentioned in like two panels, like in um, Secret of the Unicorn, because he's someone who also wants to buy this ship, this replica of the of the unicorn, which is the ship. Yeah. Um, and then he disappears because like Tintin doesn't want to sell it to him, and then he runs off, and then. Um, but in the film, they ha- they build him up to be this villain who's a descendant of Red Rackham. And um, so in the film, you meet Tintin, uh, and then he gets uh, captured because he has this replica which has a secret scroll that has the coordinates and like clues to where the treasure is. Then he's brought to the ship, which is how he meets um, Captain Haddock because he's been mutinied uh, by his crew because they're being paid by Saccharin to hunt down the treasure and that's kind of how the adventure starts. Yes. And it's um, <clears throat> the one thing that like Spielberg was a perfect to me was a perfect choice for the director. Oh yeah. For many reasons. Among them is because the film feels like a kid's... in I mean, like we said before, Tintin is kind of like an Indiana Jones for kids. Indiana Jones is like a more adult Tintin. Basically, and, yeah. And with, with with the film, it's the most... I've seen the most um, things that are very similar to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. They have just like in the way that like some of the... Um, some of the fight scenes, some of the attacks scenes... The scene where, um, oh gosh, where they're in the town and um, the there's like the the dam breaks and it's and it's going oh, yeah. down and which Captain Haddock he he broke the dam basically he broke the dam yeah he fired and, an RPG the wrong direction <laughs> yeah and that's that was fantastic and um, the bit where Tintin's riding the motorcycle and the motorcycle breaks and he's like holding on to still to the the um the handle the handles and he's, and he's going down the going on the wire the zip line and it's yeah. just just good old fun and I saw everything this... is very like epic and it, how it's like mm-hmm. since it was motion capture um, they, they did a, a lot more Weta... like open to yeah what's the studio Weta Weta yeah. Yep. yeah Weta Studios um, so the the actors like had the suits on and they were like acting this out and um, like watching some of the the footage from the set like they had they made like a like a motorcycle and they had like four guys pushing it around just so they could capture it so like these actors were still like physically acting along with Mm -hmm. you know using their voices so you can kind of you get that sense with um how the film is like shot also because like they actually have the cameras in there shooting so the a lot of the movements for an animated film very seem very uh Real and organic. Yes, and among other, with other great things to go along with this is that there is talk right now of a sequel, Which and I'm so, so excited for <laughs> it's still in development right now. Um, however, um, Peter Jackson is in talks to direct the sequel. Which I would be a huge fan of that because, huge. like, just. 
obviously like I'm I'm like a fan of Steven Spielberg because just like a lot of a lot of his films are so much fun. They're like Jurassic Park, like Indiana Jones, like Goonies, like all that stuff. It's just a lot of fun to watch and like he has a good hold of like like that adventure film. Mm-hmm. And to like since Tintin is an adventure story, no matter like if it's a mystery, a thriller, like there's still that sense of like adventure to it and he like he just did a good job like handling that yes uh the essence of it so for like a diehard fan (laughs) watching this film like i was i was pleasantly surprised that i wasn't furious (laughs) because i usually go in to like when i'm a diehard fan of the book or the comic whatever it is i go in expecting to have my heart broken (laughs) yeah and it wasn't broken and i was happy (laughs) that's fantastic that's fantastic yeah Um, um, I got to see this movie when it first came out in 3D at an IMAX theater with my mom and dad, and it was, oh, we were having so much fun. If I had one minor criticism, and that's mainly about the mocap, because this was early 2000, this was 2011 when this movie came out, a lot of the mocap was still having a lot of uncanny valley problems mm-hmm. that, that that are slowly being taken care of every year since, since then, but... Mm-hmm. Among these things, the eyes of a lot of the characters still look dead. They don't look like realistic eyes, but that's something that's easily, you can put that aside when you look at the big picture, really. So, I I guess, like, for, I was glad that they did mocap because if it was live action, it would have taken away from, I felt like, the essence of it because... Tintin is such, he has such an iconic look to him. All the characters have a specific iconic look to them. Uh, Like, you can't really replicate that live action. Um, And also it was kind of just like a love, like, I don't know, like homage to Hergé's style because they were, they were very much like, their look was very much the style of Hergé. And it was nice because in the beginning of the film, they kind of did a, um, like a nod to Hergé because like Tintin, he walks, He's walking in this market. He walks, uh, and he's actually sitting. He sits in front of a caricature artist, and then he, you turn and see that it's like Hergé's style of Tintin, and the the artist is Hergé. It's really cool. But as an adaptation, I think it was fantastic. For maybe because I'm just a fan and I was geeking out the whole time, but. Uh, they, even though they changed the story a whole lot, because <laughs> there's elements of like um, several books in there, like the Emerald, um, was it the, uh, oh, the cast, the cast of Ford Emeralds. Um, there were kind of some hints to like aspects of. Crab with the Golden Claw besides the Captain Haddock bit. Um, they kind of cherry-picked around, but they blended it all in a way that made it its own individual thing. Um, I guess my one complaint is that the ending wasn't as strong as it could have been. I felt like the beginning and middle were pretty solid, but then the end kind of... Like, they do have an epic battle, but after that, it's really kind of just putters out. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely agree. It, it, there are a lot of 
the the ending does have some pacing issues, and you don't really it it just feels like oh it ended. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been a lot bigger. I feel like um the whole like the reveal at the end sort of just comes out of nowhere when there's this really big huge adventure and it's all sort of like oh it was in the house the entire time. Yeah. And again, it's. But that's, that's kind of how it was that, in the books. That's how they were in the comics, and like in the and is... Crab with the Golden Claws at the, um, he is kidnapped by. Um, I can't remember the bad guy, um, at the moment, but he's in the house. So like in the beginning of, I mean at the end of Golden Claws, like there's kind of like a hint. Um, like, okay, here's a location. We might come back to it. And then you find out, like, in Red Rackham's treasure, oh, that's where, he, like, he was kidnapped there earlier. That's where that's where it is, which turns out to be Marlon Spike Hall. That's where the treasure is. Yes. So in there's the comics had more time to, like, kind of plant the seeds, whereas the film, they kind of rushed, just trying to give you this information. But it's a fun watch. Like, it's definitely fun. There's some really uh, beautiful bits of animation, especially when... Um, Haddock begins to talk about he's kind of in this weird like fever dream kind of like he's dehydrated they're out in the middle of the desert and he's um, he's actually getting sober <laughs> and uh, he recounts his family's uh, histories Sir uh, Francis Haddock's like encounter with Red Rackham or in the book I mean in the movie they call him Saccharin instead of Red Rackham um and they do this cool bit of animating where it's like you see the the sand dunes start to like move forward and then they turn into waves and then there's a giant ship and it's like that part is just beautiful to watch because it's a cool bit of animated animation absolutely absolutely so well this uh yeah so basically what the conclusion to all of that nerd ranting and <laughs> rambling is that you have no idea like the entire time I've been standing over here Selena has this giant smirk and she's just like ah, I'm so happy I get to talk about this ah, not a lot of people fantastic. read Tintin like when I meet someone who's read Tintin I just geek out because I'm like you understand you know I never get to talk about this I know oh <laughs> Before we end, I have to tell you funny. So, at the first Comic-Con that I ever went to, Denver Comic-Con 2014, (coughs) um, I saw someone dressed up as Tintin. They were cosplaying Tintin. So, nerd me had to say hi, but I was super, like, socially awkward and anxious. And so, instead, I just followed this poor man around until I got the courage to be like, can I have a picture? And then there's an awkward picture of me just, like, standing next to this dude dressed up as Tintin. (laughs) And, like, I'm beaming because I'm just, like overcome with nerd happiness honestly if i got to like just be on set for when they like either do the sequel which i hope they do because like my grown ass will be in the theaters like by myself crying with laugh like with happiness but i'd probably honestly be the least helpful. i'll make that a goal <laughs> the least helpful member of the crew because i'd just be like ah, i'm so happy <laughs> i'm just happy to be here i'm just happy to be here i love tintin so much all right yeah well we both can agree that <laughs> it's a fun adaptation it's a fun adaptation and it's definitely um to me it it, it it's a lot like star wars rogue one where it's a very expensive fan film. 
That's Basically, really what it is. It's a, it it's was like made really, by fans for fans. Yes, and to be honest, the, that that's that can go either way very closely. It could go good. It could go bad. But in this case, it's it's perfect. Yeah, it's, you can enjoy it even if you don't know the the history or the lore, mm-hmm. or if you don't know the characters. Like they do a good job of still making it an entertaining film. Even though it's like you're, you're probably gonna enjoy it more if you're a psycho fan. Yeah, honestly. Like Just you, <laughs> you nerd. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, this has been time to adapt. Uh, thanks for listening, and until t- next time. <laughs> Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!